This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hi, I'm Jay Harwood from the New York Mets. Welcome to our Mets alumni podcast. Michael, how are you? Hey, Jay. Mike, what do you remember most about the first day we met in May of 1998? I remember you know, picking you up at the airport and crazy. We wanted to do a press conference before the game with the Brewers. It got too late. We had to do it after the game. What do you remember about that day? Yeah, that was a, that was a special day. I mean, it, it was coming off of a, a very tumultuous time uh, for me with the Dodgers and, and getting traded to the Marlins and then knowing the Marlins were going to um, eventually trade me uh, and then having it uh, obviously getting traded to New York. All the excitement that is the city um, is just. Uh, so, I mean, you can't you can't describe the energy and getting off at the airport and and like you said, just trying to get into the stadium. And it was a pretty euphoric day. And um, fortunately, we won, and uh, the crowd the crowd was amazing. So it's and I remember the electricity. We did a press conference in a small Jets locker room that was packed, and really big sense of excitement. And that day, you. You know, your your soon to be best friend Al Leiter won that game, and it was a it was a great day. Yeah. When you were with the Dodgers, was Johnny still with the minor league? Johnny Franco still with the minor leagues there? Because he, you know, gave up his number for you. You know, he was number thirty one. Yeah. No, that was a special. That was a special uh, gift from Johnny. Obviously, uh, no. I mean, I I hadn't remembered Johnny. I know Johnny was with Cincinnati for a few years. I think when I was when I was starting. Uh, to break in uh, to the big leagues, uh, but ultimately, I did actually face Johnny uh, when he was with the Reds when I was with the Dodgers. So no, um, and then uh, for both of us to end up in um, in New York is special because Johnny, obviously being a native New Yorker and a Brooklyn guy, and for him to give me his number was was something that was uh, you know, obviously something you can't uh, you'll never forget. And the first win was with Al, who you know probably I went out and say probably one of your closest friends in the game. Mr. Leiter that day. Yeah, I really enjoyed catching out. We had a special, special bond and we were both very competitive and passionate about uh, pitching and, and uh, strategy and, and just on the road, generally the times we had on the road, because uh, we, we just had a bunch of good guys too. And that's why we, we had pretty good ball clubs and we were able to uh, get into the playoffs a couple times, um, you know, in the next few years, because we had really good, uh, really good camaraderie on the team and guys just generally liked each other. And so, yeah, I mean, it's always, it's great to be in New York city, but also great to be in a, in a team with a bunch of really good guys that, that got along and, and really were competitive together. Mike, that, that first year, if I recall, correct me, it was, it was, it wasn't an easy year in the summer of 98. You hit well, everything went well, but there was some booing and in, in the speak in the, in the mingle in the, in the games and, you know, there was a lot of questions that summer. What is Mike going to do? Is he going to sign or whatever? I mean, when did it kind of tip towards signing? Would you sign in October of that year? 
Yeah, I think when I got there, like anybody, because the expectations were high, I was pressing a little bit, and um, yeah, I was getting some hits because at the time in my career, I was I was really at the top of my game, but I wasn't. I think getting big hits or driving runs in that bigger runs, and so I think the people and the fans rightfully wanted me to to obviously um, you know get bigger hits and come through in the bigger situations, and I think I was pressing and a few times. I left some guys on base late in the game and yeah, they were letting me hear about it and it was fine. I mean, it was challenging for me because generally that whole year was was a big upheaval for me and a change, but I really thought it made me a better player because um, I never wanted the fans to take it easy on me. I, I liked that energy and that pressure and I think some guys, at least for me, I thrived on that. I mean, th- that to me, I think made me better. I I really went into my shell and said, "Hey, I got to get my my act together here and and hopefully come through more." And I did. And I started relaxing and executing and really hitting the ball. And the fans came around. And then it turned from you know a lot of mystery. Well, what's he going to do? To to I knew I was there for a reason, and I had to see it through the whole way. Like. What I'd like to know is go over each of your 427 home runs, not only Kenny. I <laughs> went through some stuff, and I just I just picked out a couple things to see what you remember. Uh, one stuck in my mind was uh, the game in the Astrodome in September 98, and we right in the middle of, uh, of the wild card race. And, you know, we're losing 2 nothing, ninth inning, two outs, and yeah. against Billy Wagner, and you hit a three-run homer. Yeah, that was, a pretty, uh, that was a pretty big home run. I think that was my 200th home run, if I'm not mistaken. As well, right? It was. Uh, it was yeah, yeah, it was. Um, no, Alpha guy like Billy Wagner, who at the time was really one of the top of the in the game. Um, it was a pretty exciting game, and we had a lot of characters on that team. You know, we had Brian McRae and Carlos Baerga and, and Ray, obviously Ordonez, and um, it was just a. It was a really it was a special time. It was really. Uh, yeah, that was that was a big home run. I remember we. Uh, we had a lot of fun at that time of the year, too, because it was getting down to the end of the year. How about the one um, uh, against the Braves? I think it was in 2000. We were losing 8-1 to one in the eighth inning. We get seven runs to tie the game, and you hit a three-run home run and ball with like a line yeah. drive into left field. Never, never got up in the air. Yeah, and that was special, too, because I think it was around 4th of July, and I think it was fireworks night, and, and so the place was, was packed with people who were there to see the fireworks. and. Um, they didn't leave. I mean, probably if any other night we were losing by that many runs, the place would have been empty by the eighth inning. But they stayed, so it even made that uh, you know the home run that much more uh, exciting. But I remember Fonzie had a really great two-strike hit uh, before me to tie the game. And um, I just remember after that, I really relaxed because I felt like, okay, at this point, there's nothing to lose. The game is tied, and, and uh, I – Got a good pitch from t- t- Terry Mulholland. I was able to keep it fair. I almost pulled it foul, but was able to to, to keep it in the ballpark. Uh, but it was special. Yeah, that was one of those crazy nights that you just can't uh, once in a once in a lifetime, uh, you know, exciting game. All right, and then I want to get to my favorite, and I think you know where I'm going. I've been here a long time, Mike, and every time I see the film of the September 21st game uh, against the Braves. I mean, I mean, I still get goosebumps watching that home run, and uh, I know you never like to call yourself a hero. I understand that part of it, but I mean, even through the years, I've gotten to understand what that home run meant to the city, bringing people together, and you know, it's a big part of the nine eleven museum. Uh, they have a display that just opened up last year. Uh, you know, baseball after nine eleven. I mean, that was that had to be a pretty special moment for you after all these years, still, right? 
Oh, it's true, and it's um, it is bittersweet though for me because uh, yeah, it's it's extremely honoring that people remember that home run and put it in such a, a really high place of of their memory of trying to to come back from a from a real um, tragic uh, event. I mean, a, a once in a millennium type event like that, you just you can't uh, describe the pain and suffering that week. So. Um, it, it, that to me, because even though you remember the the excitement and and the really the great feeling of that night, you still for me remember the pain and the suffering of that week. So that's why for me it's it's not always easy to to look back uh, and and remember that week. But I was just blessed, you know. I I you know you know me. I'm pretty open about you know I'm a very faithful guy and and. Um, that night was was something that I think transcended baseball and, and really was about life itself and and faith and spirituality. I mean, I remember praying before the game, just praying to God to give me strength to get through the game because it was such an emotional night and uh, a lot of uh, trepidation. People didn't know what a lot of anxiety and all the questions about should we be playing and if we were safe and um, but to have it end that way was was something again that you just. Uh, can never write a story like that. It just had to unfold, and it was uh, as as you mentioned, one of the the real you know blessings in my life. And I'm always honored and flattered when people do remember that. Yeah, two things about that. I, I don't know if you remember after the game, uh, you specific. We sat on the bench probably in a good hour, you know, signing autographs for the police and the firemen's people. And there was one family who, if you touched your life, the Geese family, their father was killed uh, as a fireman. And all three sons uh, became firemen after that. And he all attributed to you uh, yeah. letting them know that life could go on. And I know that Carol always speaks very finely ever when I you know, speak to her. And, and she said that night was very special to their family, you know, that, that stay in the dugout that night. I know you met them after before, right? I think you run into them down the road someplace. Yeah. No, I did. It's always um, nice to see the positive stories that came out of such a tough week. And that was, yeah, very special. I remember around the 10th anniversary, I actually did an interview with Bob Lee on ESPN. I was trying to actually find that interview because I was telling people about it because yeah. it was such an emotional story. I think Bobby V was with him before the game, and they were talking about uh, yeah, that family with three sons. Who yeah, and they were all firemen now. I went on the air. It's great. Yeah, and it's, um, yeah, it's very emotional. It's very difficult to sort of, um, you know, put that in perspective because of, of the sheer, you know, pain, but the positive is the strength of people and the love of people that got us through that week and have moved on and, and, you know, live life. Because I know I've said many times, if God forbid something happens for me, you know, I would want my family and friends to, to live life, enjoy life. And it's a, it, it changed my life in a way because it really right reprioritized the, the, the important things in life about, family and and you know and friends and and relationships and you know we all know our jobs are important but um they're obviously secondary compared to what life is about the true relationships of, of life and you know recently after that i got married and have my own family now so um yeah it was um it was a it was a really interesting time but very painful but also very special yeah. that the way it ended yeah Mike, just jump into a different direction. What did Ken Williams mean to your career? I know you. He helped you when you were a youngster. Gave me some advice here in, in his hall in his museum. Do you, do you remember when he was like eleven or twelve when he 
gotcha gave some bounty tips yeah no i mean my father believe it or not even though was a huge dimaggio fan because of being italian american and sicilian american he loved joe dimaggio uh he but he really thought ted williams was the better hitter and um so was always a huge ted williams fan and my dad was a big fan of baseball so when i started becoming good as a kid uh, and I think I was 15 or 16, you know, he was friends with a scout who was very close with Ted and Ted was in an autograph show in, in King of Prussia, Pennsylvania. And they had the morning off and, and this scout was telling Ted about, uh, his friend Vince, who had this son who was a pretty good hitter. And Ted was like, let's go see him hit. And he was telling him how I have this cage in my backyard with the machine. And so Ted came over to my house and, uh, you know, I put the tape. Uh, I think it was the MLB network a few years ago when I got into the hall and, and, you know, when I, when I did my book, um, pretty special. I mean, it was, uh, it, I mean, Ted Williams was, I think the first, I mean, you talk about analytics to today and statistics and all these things. I mean, Ted Williams was the first guy that made hitting a science and, uh, his book was called the science of hitting and still available, I think on Amazon or, or wherever, if you want to get it, because it's really the first breakthrough you know i always say it was like the leonardo da vinci of hitting you know when we look at leonardo today with the with the uh his sketches on the body and anatomy um ted williams you know everything sort of comes around again but ted williams was the first guy that turned hitting into a science so that was what was very inspiring to me and inspired me to to you know work on my hitting that way and obviously it, it paid off all right let's talk about your journey I mean, do you ever sit back i know it's you know, I mean, the Hall of Fame and everything, but where you came from, you know, 62nd round draft pick, uh, you know, you know, to, to wind up in Cooperstown and, and you know, and there were over a thousand players taken before you in the draft. I mean, it's a pretty remarkable journey, I mean, from, you know, where, where you started and where you are now. Yeah, it's a lesson of, of faith and commitment and discipline and, and all the things that maybe today aren't as in vogue or are not as popular. I mean, you have to... Look, I've been very blessed in my life. I had some ability to to hit the baseball. I worked extremely hard, but I mean, there was years where I really sacrificed. I mean, in high school, you know, I wasn't the cool kid. I didn't go to the prom. I wasn't. I didn't. I don't feel like I really lost anything out of my youth because I enjoyed working on baseball and and uh, major in my you know going through the minor leagues and all the frustrations and ups and downs. I was just telling stories in the in the clubhouse today with. Uh, with Benny DiStefano and these guys about the minor, and we were laughing, talking about the minor leagues and stories about no money, and you know we're living on uh, you know eight hundred dollars a month, or and guys living together like four guys in a house in a room and things like that. So, um, pretty great stories, and those were character builders. And and behind any success, there has to be a, a lot of discipline and work and sacrifice. So. Yeah, it's it was something for me. Um, I saw a lot of really player players that were a lot more talented than me that didn't really make it to the big leagues because for whatever reason they just couldn't seem to to get past that um, that threshold. But for me, it was something I always wanted to learn. I was always open to coaches, and I always loved the game and was willing to put the time in. So it's just a lesson in 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 perseverance and positive energy and faith you know you you spent some time in camp uh what's your you know your quick impressions of the team this year what you've seen yeah i uh i'm excited i mean i th i think um look 
I've said many times before, it's, it's very difficult to win and it's very difficult to win in the spotlight that is New York city. The expectations are very high. Um, you know, there's, there's always, uh, when you go through some tough times, it's easy. People want to jump off the, 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 the ship very quickly because it's, uh, it, it's, it is a, it's, you're under a microscope here. The spotlight is brighter than any other city. Um, it's it high expectations are always high. So with that said, um, I think it's great that the, the changes they made, bring it back Cano and, and I'm excited for the young players like Nemo who seem like have taken a step and have want to be in the, in, in on the stage. Um, obviously the pitch in with the Grom Syndergaard is, is, is very solid. So look, uh, there's no secret formula. It really comes down to results. It comes down to execution and uh, good pitching, good defense, timely hitting, good coaching. You know, everything has to click. Uh, teams that win um, work hard, are healthy, execute, have good years, but also have a little luck too. So <laughs> a little luck never hurts. No, it does. Mike, you you spend most of your time in Italy now in Parma. You know, yeah. You recently sold your soccer team. Yeah. Uh, what what do you, do you envision going back and forth or what, what you know, in the end? Yeah, it was, um, it was a, a, in a situation where I was going back and forth, you know, with the team so much that my wife was like, you know, look, let's give our kids the European experience where they can go over there and learn Italian and learn other languages and, and get an education in Europe. And it's been uh, one of the great blessings of my life. I mean, we, we settled in Parma and uh, I recently became an Italian citizen. And um, the fact that, I mean, that my kids are doing so well, it's kind of like in this day and age, it's not so bad to travel. Uh, it makes it tough, obviously, logistically, you know, to get on a plane, you have to, you do a lot more rather than being in Florida. But uh, the fact that my kids are doing so well, it's something I think we're going to just play it year to year. I mean, we'll finish the year this year and reevaluate it in the summer. But I mean, I love Italy. I mean, being of Italian American, you know, of Italian descent and then going back there and uh, as a, uh, I guess, an immigrant for lack of better words is, is really an exciting thing. And, and, and I love Europe. I've always been interested in history and, uh, loved going to the museums and studying, you know, especially in Italy, you know, Roman, uh, uh, the Roman Empire, the history of the Roman Empire. I've, I've been going to a lot of the sites of, of the museums and the antiquities that are there and the art. So um, it's a special, it's a special time in our lives and we're enjoying it. Um, you know, as I've talked, I had a great talk with Jeff and he, he said, look, Mike, the door's always open when you want to help us out if you can. And I said, look, I'll do what I can. Obviously, this, the, the travel's a little tricky for me, but I'm excited to be, uh, you know, affiliated with the Mets and, and, you know, I'll do whatever I can. And hopefully, um, you know, these days here, I can have an impact. I was talking with Travis D'Arno. Obviously, he's coming back off an injury. So, been talking with him, trying to get his head straight and get him back in the lineup. Um, so, you envisioned at some point that maybe you could get back and uh, not full time, but, you know, where you have a, a, a different kind of role with the club at, at some point in the future. I mean, Depend, depending on yeah i mean the door is open the good thing is the dialogue is great and um look i mean they have a lot on their plate um obviously brody a new general manager but we had dinner the other night and i uh, really really think he's a great guy he's a very bright guy coming from the agent side you know leaving uh, a very comfortable job and 
you know, it's kind of like my theory, you know, people say, what, what made you think about buying a business in Italy or buying a tea? I'd say, because I just like getting out of my comfort zone. I, I don't like, you know, just uh, so kicking the can down the road in life. You know, I like challenges. And, and with that said, you have to be smart about those challenges because you can't be reckless when you have a family and, and things like that. But generally I like the fact that Brody came from a, a a very good job as an agent, probably very comfortable and wanted to take this on. So it shows me he's has that initiative to want to, to rise to the challenges that and as difficult as it, as it is. So look, I'm here. I love my role with the team. I, you know, I love going to the community relations part, going to the hospitals and meeting all the young fans and meeting the sponsors and the season ticket holders and, and, doing the Q and A's that that's fun, fun for me. As far as in the future, being more involved, I think it's just has to happen organically. Hey, Mike Bono, I appreciate your time. And please say hello to your dad for me. He's always a special friend and tell him I was thinking of him. Okay. I will. Thank, thanks for your time, Mike. God, yeah. He's thinking about you too. He told me to tell everyone. So yeah, I enjoyed it a lot, man. I'll talk thanks, to you Mike. Today. appreciate your time. Thanks, man. Bye. All bye. right. Ciao. Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story, and one of the best stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on the Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons of the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data. From Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware, Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based champion. Championship team.